Welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. New week, new show. Happy to be here with you. We are going to take you back out to Anaheim, California this week, where the Advanced Clean Transportation Expo occurred last week. We had an opportunity to catch up with Rick Dauk, who is the CEO of Workhorse Group. His company is one that we have covered quite a bit at Freight Waves, and those of you who follow it know that it's been a bit of a soap opera. Rick, uh, in an uncharacteristically, at least for us, uh, candid interview. Really excited for this one. So why don't you take a look? Great to see you. Great, yeah, nice, good to see you. Good to see you. Well, yeah, I yeah. Well, I, yeah. This is well. You know, we we've talked, and, and like I said, I I told you I, I knew your dad. I interviewed him many years ago. I know about the American axle business from how it came out of General Motors, uh, five plants purchased, and all that. And you know, so I know some of that history because of being a former GM employee myself. Um, you know, but I, for whatever reason, about five years ago, I started covering Workhorse. You're a fascinating story. Um, you know, there, there's been an awful lot that's happened there. You came in almost two years ago. Tell us a little bit. Well, first, before we do that, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, will you? Okay, good. So I'm the oldest child of my mom and dad. Okay. So I kind of grew up in the auto industry. You know, I was born at Purdue University when my family moved to Flint. My dad worked for General Motors. I grew up in Flint, Michigan, until I was 13 and moved down to Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And uh, just kind of like automotives in my blood, uh, I chose to go to West Point, play football there, and uh, get injury degree, serve the Army. Got out, went to grad school at MIT. And then when my dad started American Axle, I joined that company a year later, spent 13 years there working for my dad. Or as I say, being trained by my dad or tormented by my dad. I do remember one time in an earnings call, you said something about... Uh, Basically, your dad told you to put on your big boy pants or words to that effect. Yeah, that about, much. You know, that was sort of the, the message uh, around there. You guys, uh, you guys live a, a, a tough, you know, no, ex that's it. No excuses. I think was what no excuses, hardcore operations, get your butt out of the office, go to the floor, talk to the people, yeah. check on your suppliers, uh, build a good, good product, ship good products, yeah, exactly. world-class quality, world-class delivery base. And is there, is there anything tougher than making axles, right? I mean, that's the... Ooh, that was tough. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the air conditioning business, which is really an assembly business. And so going there to watch them build axles, first time I saw the capital dollars, it was like, it's got to be a typo, but big boxcar numbers or investments. Yeah. And so cutting gears at very tight tolerances, uh, which was really a good learning experience for me. They sent me to tooling class, uh, lean manufacturing, everything. So I got put on patience in 13 years for sure. So after 13 years, then where'd you go? What was that? My dad was only 18 years older than me. Oh. So he and I had a big conversation about if he was going to retire or be chairman. And he's the youngest of six kids. And all of my uncles and aunts either ran their businesses as well into their 80s. So I knew if I was going to stay there, I'd work with my dad forever, basically. So, but I chose to go. And uh, I thought I was ready uh, to be a CEO. I took over the old Textron fasting business. It was owned by Platinum Equity at the time. And they called it AccuMeds. Uh, about, I think we had 49 plants, 19 distribution centers around the world. I took over 90 days before the global recession. Oh my. So I had a $2 billion revenue company doing about a hundred million uh, EBITDA. Within 90 days, I had a $1 billion company doing negative EBITDA and on the verge of bankruptcy. So that was a really a baptism of fire as a CEO. I'd never really worked in France before. Seven plants in France, five in Germany, a bunch in Asia. So we had to figure out how to save that company from going bankrupt. It was tough, tough, tough duty. And I give the Platinum Equity guys standing by with me. We got that company through on the other side. So turned it around. And after that, when, when did uh, uh, when did Delphi Technologies come into into the view? Yeah, between Acumen and Delphi, I went to a company called AccuRide. And AccuRide is the old Firestone Wheels company. 
that was purchased by Bain Capital, a guy named Mitt Romney. Oh, yeah, I've heard that guy. And into Accuride. And that was then basically made steel wheels. And then they merged with another company uh, called, I think it was called, it was, a, it was a multi-asset company, all in commercial truck space. So I spent almost 11 years there. And I got to go to Delphi. Delphi Technologies had been spun off from Delphi Automotive. Uh, they had lost quite a bit of market cap in their first year. And I got there, quite honestly, in the first 90 days, I realized we had a big, uh, what I call, tooth-to-tail ratio issue. We had 24 factories and 25 technical centers. That's a lot. When we did the benchmarking there, we had 12% of our cost was R&D and 7% uh, SG&A. And that was like almost double what the rest of the guys were in the industry. So we had to go through a massive restructuring there too, which is tough. Right. Uh, Close nine tech centers, close a few plants while we were building up the electric truck. The, the guys had made a great plan to build up the EV side, the inverters, et cetera, battery management. Those plants were just coming on board when I got this. So we were going to do the launches. We were also doing the conversion from a diesel fuel in Europe to gas fuel. So we had to close old plants in the Western part of Europe and build new plants in Romania and Poland. And those were going through some tough, tough launches. And right. I'm a hardcore ops guy. So that's perfect for me. Like, you know, go in and get the launches squared away, restructure the headquarters, do some things. I, I think you mentioned though in there when you talked about EV, which yeah. is obviously what the whole ACT Expo now over, but you know, we're talking during the ACT Expo. That must have been appealing for Board Warner, which now is really pushing Absolutely hard. So. And is actually seemingly, I think they might be now spinning off or setting off some of the things you sold them. Very good. Very good. You're, you've, done, you've done your homework for sure. I went to the uh, show, the uh, CES show in Vegas on my first day as a CEO of Delphi. On the second day, I was met the CEO of Board Warner, Frederick. Yeah. And he told me he was interested in my EV business. And I said to him, hey, I've only been here a day, but I know that's a very important part of my business. Yeah. 90 days. Yeah. And when I went around the world, I realized how fast the EV side of the business is going to grow. We're going to go from like a billion electric type components up to $4 billion of revenue. Mm-hmm. While the diesel is going from 1.2 down to 200 million, just the aftermarket base. Right. But there was still a place for fuel, right? And especially in heavy trucks. But what it taught me over at Delphi was this. The rest of the world was moving to EV faster than the United States. Mm-hmm. China was very going very fast. Our biggest customers for our EV business were on the in the Asian market. The second biggest were in France and Germany. We had over 100 engineers working at one of the German OEMs just on the software writing for their future EVs that are just coming out in model year 24 and 25. Yeah. And so, that so was there wasn't re- enough uh, uh, heft, if you will, within Delphi to really make that a go. Well, you know, when I got there, I, was, I thought I'd be there for four or five years for sure. And we got an offer at the board level and uh, the board has to do what's right for shareholders. So $3.3 billion is not sneeze money. I mean, that's yeah. real money, right? I think, yeah. you know, like uh, 3.3 billion. Yeah. And I got, I got there, our Market cap was around 1.6, 1.7. So yeah. can't, can't do that. I mean, it has to be seen as a success. And I don't want to dwell on that because I'm still trying to figure out and understand. I, I You obviously weren't ready to hang it up. You wanted another challenge, but you have to maybe forgive me or not for thinking you were going to cut up what was left of Workhorse. It was on its down. It, it wasn't doing too good. I mean, we, yeah, they, they weren't producing much or anything like that. You get there. You said, I want 90 days, if I remember right, like, to assess before yeah. I'm going to say anything. What did you find? Interesting. I was retired, basically, but it's maybe too young, maybe 60, 59, I think, at the time. And after about 10 months, my wife said, you're bored. I got a call, same headhunter who recruited me to go to Delphi. 
And he said, hey, I got something for you. I thought for sure it was going to be another big tier, tier one turnaround. He said, no, it's interesting. Dynamic is a st- small startup in Cincinnati, Ohio called We're Close. So I did my research. Looks like they had a good van. Had some production issues they had to get through a supply chain, which is what they told me. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. Why not? I like taking on tough challenges. I got there. I found a little different story, basically. Uh, we did have a plant. It was in bad condition. Not as bad as the axle plants we took over from General Motors back in 1994-95, which I cut my teeth there. Yes. Not as bad as some of the plants I took over at Acumit, plants from the 1800s and 1900s, or even at, uh, at Accuride. The plant at Gunite was built in the 1840s. You know? So it wasn't that bad. But it was old and tired and been left to die by a private equity guy, I'll say. The biggest challenge we had was the truck we got. I realized within the first two or three weeks, uh, I had a three-day review with the engineers, the purchasing team, and we had built the truck. The bill of materials was $178,000. The sales price was 80. I said, even third grade math flip guy knows that math doesn't work. Yeah. I had to call the board and said, we have a problem. I had to call the customer and said, we have a problem. Second problem we had was we hadn't really fully understood. I think, I think it's just not on purpose, but because guys were experienced the auto industry, what you need to do to qualify a truck to be ready to be on the road. All right. You have to self-certify under FMVSS, 33 different places, and we weren't fully certified. That was a shock to me, quite honestly. Uh, I know the NHTSA rules. We immediately notified NHTSA. We recalled the 32 trucks we had in the field. We bought them all back. We shut down the factory. I chose not to lay off the hourly people because they didn't make mistakes. The mistakes were made in headquarters by engineers and some of that. We started trying to save the C-1000. We did a lot of engineering work, brought some parts in, but it just wasn't built durable enough to last the 15 or 20 years that a work truck needs to be done. So we took the painful decision to scrap that truck. And that set us back by about 18 months. And there were some really great things about the C1000, class four truck, low floorboard, good powertrain, good software, but the chassis wasn't robust. Uh, You know, and I know when you're in the auto industry, a a car and a truck is basically a bunch of parts. They better all be PPAP, right? right? Right. Not one tell the audience what PPAP yeah, is. PPAP means pre-production approval process. Make sure the parts are built to print and are capable and durable. And we had zero of our parts on our truck with PPAP. Wow. Oh. Uh, so was, basically a train wreck to use a different mode. Yeah, I'd say it was it was a challenging situation. How's that? If, when you didn't have something you could basically self-certify or present to them and say, this is good to go, then you just, I mean... That should have and could have been the end of the company right there. Could have been in the company. We did a couple of smart things. While I was being interviewed, they asked me what I would do with our Lord South share. We own 10% of Lord South. Yep. And I said to them at the time, if you wait till I get there, it may be too late, but I'd sell every share you got, put all that cash to the balance sheet as fast as you can. We did. We sold our shares of Lord South over about a, two weeks before I got there, about four or five weeks after I was done. So we put $106 million in the balance sheet. That gave me some cash cushion. Uh, two, we, uh, decided to convert all of our debt. So we got rid of our $200 million of debt. Yeah, you were in Terra and in, in Terra, right? Terra, yeah. Terra is now and, and it was costly, but we had to do it. Yeah. Uh, we knew that we had a one-time shot to get a new truck. And I asked my engineers that we hired, all I want to take you from scratch to build a truck that's durable, safe, reliable, and I can make money. They said, give us at least 18, 20 months. So we're pretty much right on that schedule right now. We met you a little bit, like quarter behind of what we wanted to be, I think. So. Right. And I told him, hey, in order to do that, you can't 
have bespoke parts. You got to go out and find current off the shelf technology. So wherever you can go to a commercial vehicle supplier is open capacity. Right. Most of them don't want to talk to us. Low volume, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand trucks a year. But if you, if you use their current technology, they have open capacity. That's gravy for them. They're using the same equipment, same design. They're probably getting a little free. Bomb is coming down. Big ties coming down. Right. So that's what we did. So if you go on that truck, we have Henderson front axles. We have a Linamar drive axle. We have Metalsa rails. We have a cattle battery. You got ZF steering. I think we have the parts. You know, we, have, we have Accuride wheels. RFP battery? Yeah. Okay. We have a, and then we have a, um, Accuride. we have, we have web, we have web brake drop. We don't have gunite because gunite was out of capacity at times. So we yeah. use the web. So. Yeah. Well, good. this is where your experience and your team's experience, because you build a team over there yeah. that essentially, uh, you know, knew the business, right? And that's not to say that they didn't know anything before you, but you build out a team, had to yeah. pay a team to come in, but you brought in people, all of whom had the right, the right stuff, I guess is the right. Yeah. Thing. I, I kind of, this is my fourth gig as a CEO. So I've learned, I, I watched my dad, how he fixed things. And I've had to do it myself now at AccuRide, Acumen, Delphi, and now Workhorse. So I have what I call fix and grow. It starts with people. You know, I want good people. Or I want ethical people, team players, and selfless leaders, no politics. Right. I had to sort that out pretty quickly. People who had made mistakes, that they'd made a mis- uh, either they did something wrong or false, they got fired right away. We got rid of CFO, COO, and a couple other people in the company. Right. And changed out the plant manager, right? Uh, just because you've been the plant manager for a long time doesn't mean you're the king of the place. It doesn't look very good. We're going to fix it. Then you got to have the best technology, product technology, process technology, and assistance technology. So truck is product. Processes are all the tools you use to build and design those trucks. And the systems are the IT systems. Most of the companies I went to had their roll-ups. Uh, and so the IT system was extremely poor. We're going to put a new ERP system in our company here. Here we had good engineers, but they didn't have enough automotive experience. So we hired about 30 more engineers up at Wixom. Couldn't find them in Cincinnati. Great town, great engineers on the University of Cincinnati, Purdue, Ohio State. Lack of engineering experience on automotive. So we went out and got a bunch of people who had retired out of Stellantis, Ford, General Motors, some of the tier ones who've been designing trucks for 20 or 30 years. Sure. They could take the young guys and teach them, okay, here's what you do. Here's how you test the truck. Durability tests, uh, thermal tests, uh, hot weather, cold, cold weather, brake tests, and get all the work bits. All that hard work just got to get done to get done on time. Design freezes so we can source parts so we can launch trucks on time, which is all I did at American Axle for about 13 years was launch axles. You have a stopgap product from Green Power Motors. We do. Uh, that was uh, brought in. That's something to keep, basically, keep, not lights on, but to keep the customers in. Absolutely. Right? You're right. Yeah. I'd say when we first thought about it, when we killed the C1000, we're like, okay, what do we do for revenue until we get the W56 out? And our chief technology officer, who has 20 years in the EV space and some of the startups, say, hey, there's a company called Green Power. They've got a pretty good class four truck. So they shipped one into us. We drove it around and said, hey, it's great. We went out, met the guys, and we sat down in uh, California, hired out a deal of about five weeks. We agreed to buy 1,800 trucks with the option to extend that contract. And so far, we brought the truck in and we had the customers come to our plant. And they love the cab chassis. So this is a part of my education in the work. That now I'm an OEM, not a tier one, right? Hey, when you sell a cab chassis, it can turn into about 40 different types of trucks, sure. right? 
or we were going to still the step down. It looks like 80% of our volume will be in the cab chassis on that version and about 20% of the step. For all the top hats out there, basically. Class four trucks, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm happy with Green Power. We had to go together through some learning experience. We had to go through logistics and export import licensing, uh, right? VIN numbers. We have to upgrade those trucks for us to meet our quality standards and FMVSS standards. So we had to replace lights. We had to replace cab heaters, put the back panels in. Some of that was planned, some of that wasn't planned, quite honestly. So we're probably about four or five months behind with them, but they have been very good, they're patient. They got their issues worked out. We have our issues worked out. We're now in production. So uh, just a couple of weeks ago now, um, or a really uh, Daimler truck decided that it was from Asia. It was going to bring back basically the e-canter, rebadge it as a rise on. I heard it was announced this week. Right? Yeah, it was. So, yes. Yeah, cost four and five. Uh, Daimler gets into something like this. Is that a, mo a moment for pause or is there room for everybody in this space? Great, great question. So we, we stepped back and looked at the market when we got here. So, okay, we're not going to go. We thought about three, four, five, six. If you look at three and below, that's where the big boys play, right? Yeah. General Motors, Ford, BW, Stellantis, uh, Nissan, Toyota. We don't have the balance sheet or the size to do that. You go to seven, eight, that's where the big boys play up there. VW, Trayton, uh, Daimler truck, Volvo, Mac, Packard group, some of the big Chinese Indian guys. So the four, five, six niche is perfect for us. That's the work truck where I used to be on the board at Shift of Spartan Motors, right? Oh, okay. Sure. You look at that. Now a competitor, by the way. Now I had to leave the board. Yeah. I went in and said, hey, I'm, I've got an offer to go be the CEO workhorse. And so I had to leave the board. I'm still a shareholder, happy shareholder. Yeah. Even when I was at Shift, Shifted, uh, took a look at workhorse at the time. And the feedback was, hey, it's got a really high valuation and we're not sure, sure the plant's very good and the product looks a little shaky. I should have known that before I got there. there. There's so much more. I could do an hour with you, but we can't yeah. do that. But I, I got to ask you, uh, workhorse for a time was a, was a mean stock. You also sort of stuck a fork in the whole postal service thing. That became a drama, you know, that led to a mean stock. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and, and that kind of thing. But I think you kind of said, wait a minute, let's be adults about this. Uh, we're not going to compete with Oshkosh necessarily. You know, yeah. they were pretty much in, in, in agreement with Ford. Ford was doing stuff with that. So you basically saw that, I take it as a as sort of a loser. Yeah, when I got there, we'd already been not sourced the U.S. Postal Service, right? But we had chosen to uh, sue the government. <laughs> and we sat there and said, okay, can we win this case? Not likely unless you go to Supreme Court. What will cost us to defend ourselves to win? It's not worth it. I'd rather put the money in engineering. So we dropped the case, made, made peace with the U.S. Postal Service. The largest fleet in America is owned by the U.S. government. How are you going to go get new business from the government who's going to fund a lot of expectation if you're suing them? Right. It doesn't make any sense. So we got rid of that. And so now we have opportunities, right? Uh, DOD's given some directions with some of the installations that put it. These kind of trucks, service linens, food, cafeteria, department transportation. There's lots of opportunities. A lot of the municipalities, mm -hmm. some of the new car rules out here. Almost every city's got to convert all their work trucks. Almost right. every city has 30 or 40 work trucks, depending on how big they are. Some have hundreds or 200. They're going to get electrified. Right? Yeah. So, so to your point is, we understood that. You know, as I told the guys, good time for me to be here. I've made my bones before. I can take all the arrows. I've been to some tough areas, both as a private public company. We're going to always do the right thing here at Workbooth. We'll choose the harder right. If our stock goes to zero, it goes to zero. But I think we can turn it around and go the right directions. 
everybody I've had on the show in the last few weeks, I've had to ask the question about about capital. Uh, you know, you managed to get out from underneath the Antero stuff, things like that. How's your cash? Are you? Do you have an opportunity at? I don't even know where you are today, but this yeah. is not an easy time to raise money. Do you need some more money? It's almost. You go. I was just talking to some bankers here today at the show. Two years ago, money was free. Today, money's not available. It's only the ones who are going to be able to perform are going to be the ones who are going to get the capital down the road. There's going to be a massive consolidation in the EV space, the commercial EV space. The cost to go from startup to a real OEM is hard. Tooling money, plant money. So I've always said, we're not a fake EV company. We're not talking about building two or five plants in one or two years or 25 plants in five years. We have a plant. It costs us about $50 million over two years to retool it and make it look like a world-class plant. Our cost to design this vehicle around $40 million. He solved our class action lawsuit for $40 million. These are boxcar numbers. So he question about our capital. We have money. We sold those lower style shares. We started the money okay this year. We've used the ATM a few times to bring you some money. We're going to have to probably raise some more money and maybe a little dilute to shareholders. We're looking at different ways to get if that. I, we think we know what we need to get to 24. We think we can have this company break even in 25. So we got another 18 months of hard work to get this company to work. Last question. I'll let you go on this one. And that is this. You have done a sale before with yeah. Delphi. Is there, if you get this place straightened up and flying right, as my father used to say, is it something that you think becomes valuable to somebody else? Or do you think workhorse stays around. You're not a startup, by the way. I mean, you think you're yeah. that way, but you've been around for oh seven. Yeah, we're not a SPAC. Yeah. Right. We've been around for a long time. We've have we have over three hundred trucks on the road, out mostly with UPS that are hybrid type trucks. They're running quite well. We see the e feedback. E trucks. E truck. Yeah. 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 The E gen we call them, right? Yeah. So we're not a startup. We have a factory. We had engineers. We have products. We just made a misstep on the C one thousand, which took away some of our lead, but we're still gonna be the first ones to market in a volume production on a class five, six step down in a market that's been dominated by two chassis suppliers and two body builders. So there's room for a third player, right? Ford is Daimler, Utilimaster and Morgan Olsen, right? Right. So we can play there. And there's a need for that. There's a demand for, uh, the demand will outstrip the production, right? Yeah. So what one of the lessons we learned here, we're mostly parts guys is, Hey, once you build a truck, it's gotta go get outfitted. It's gotta get body built. You have to have manufacturing licenses in every state. We thought we had that. We didn't. We need dealer agreements in place. Oh, where's a dealer agreement? Stocking orders, service agreements. So we're going through all that commercialization right now. So we're, we're close. I like to say we jumped in the river. It was cold. It was fast. It was deep. We're almost to the other side of the shore. Got to swim a little harder to get this. How does the drone business, one, fit? Because we all saw the videos, the cool videos with the UPS truck and the shoe, what was it? Stock acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was all really cool stuff. Is that coming or do you think you're going to be a stationary drone developer or what? Great question. Drill, when I got here, I didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't a big believer in the drills. I'm like, how is it going to happen, right? Then I got there and I went down to see one of the customers and they told me, here's what it saves us if we can use a drone on certain routes. Instead of the driver driving five miles away, I can have a drone drop it off and comes back. Driver's already made six more stops. Here's the, here's the cost difference. Full business case score. Challenge right now is FAA certification. Ability to fly over roads, to fly over people. Do you see, if you look at the drone companies that are successful, that have these huge valuations, most of the drone work's being done outside of the United States. Zipline, others, doing stuff in Africa, right? Ship to ship. 
shipped to an oil platform. Interesting difference, right? First thing I asked my guys, if our, if our drone can carry 10 pounds, what else can I do on that besides deliver a package? They said, well, we can put a LIDAR system on our photography on it. And that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot of scanning work as, as almost grant development money, U.S. Department of Agriculture. Okay. And so we've done two big grants for them right now uh, in, in farms down south, rice farms. So they can lay out where to put their irrigation out, mapping things, checking out different areas along the waterways that might be failing. So we think there's a, we think we're going to pivot a little bit. We're still working on the drone package delivery, but that's probably farther down the road. We have soft trucks that have sliding roofs and we can take them off and on. It's pretty difficult, uh, but we might be able to pivot to like a drones of the service. We've also come up with what we call the, uh, the, we have the horse fly, which is commercial. Right. And then we have the Falcon. The Falcon is a stripped down version of the horse fly. It's designed for very austere, tough conditions. Human assistance and logistics support, basically. We can deliver packages of people. We get a, if a hiker broke his leg in the mountains, I get him a canteen or a space blanket or blood. So much more, but thank Great. you. Great, Great to have you. Appreciate it. Really Thanks. appreciate you being on. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. We told you to be candid. I don't think we disappointed on that front. Next week, we hope to have the folks from Enride with us. Uh, to talk about teleops and some other things that are going on in that part of autonomy. We will see you next time. Thanks for being here.